So there are five major questions that humanity has struggled with. Where did I come from? The issue is origins of life. Who am I? That's my identity. Why am I here? It's my purpose. How should I live? The issue is morality. And where am I going? That's my destiny. So has, have you or do you know anyone who struggle with any of these types of questions? Don't know anybody? Okay. Well, I have most of my life struggled terribly with these questions. Not that I even knew what the question was. I was just plain baffled. Hosea 4.6 says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Did you ever have any of these types of feelings? Loneliness, insecurity, fearful, depressed, isolated, unloved, unfulfilled, a sense of impending doom, empty or disconnected? Once upon a time, okay. There's a whole world of people out there that are struggling with all of that and so much more, as were probably most of us. If this goes untreated, here's a glimpse of what happens. Suicide, alcohol, drugs, sexual perversions, murders, depressions, and on and on and on. It can go for half an hour with all the types of things that happen as a result of that. I heard that uh, a statistic about 70% of all the automobile accidents, hospital visits, police calls, ambulance calls are alcohol and drug related. It's rooted in dysfunction. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Some statistics. In 2022, almost 50,000 people died by suicide, the highest number recorded by CDC. Divorce, 50%. Second marriages, 67%. Drugs, 50% of 12-year-old and older use illicit drugs at least once in their life. $35 billion a year, billion dollar a year budget for the federal, uh, to, from the federal government to control drug substance abuse. Fentanyl deaths, 2020, 53,000. 2021, 67,000. 2022, 74,000. Over 250,000 fentanyl deaths since 2018. One out of every two people in the world will develop a mental health disorder in their lifetime. That's half the world. Do you see that we have a problem? Do you see that the problem is increasing? But we have the answers. You have the answers. It says in uh, John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. Now we know this intellectually. They don't. So let's like, take a look at those five questions again. Question is, where did I come from? The issue is the origin of life. The answer is, God is creator of all. Genesis 1. The question is, who am I? It's my identity. I'm a child of God in Christ. The question is, why am I here? My purpose is to love God and love others, to be the salt and light of the world. How should I live my life? It's an issue of morality, righteously, the Ten Commandments, good start. Where am I going? My destiny, the kingdom of God, paradise. Going back home. Amen. 
You know, I always wonder why I just didn't feel like I fit in any place. I just didn't have that sense of connectedness, belonging. I just didn't have that. I, I'm, I'm starting to understand why. This is not my home. I'm in a foreign land. My home is the kingdom of God. I'm here on temporary assignment. So I'm not supposed to fit in here. Now that I know that, right, my people pa- perish for lack of knowledge. Now that I know that, it's like, okay, that just changed the whole thing. So I believe Jesus came for three major reasons, many more, but I want to focus on these three. The first thing he came for is to bring the message. What's the message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe in the gospel. That's the message. The second thing he came for was to train the 12 to evangelize the world with the message. In other words, for disciples to make disciples who make disciples until we reach the end of the earth. And the third thing, I think, was to die on the cross. The big word is propitiation, for the propitiation of our sin. What does that big word mean? Just a swap. Jesus took our sin upon himself, and he gave us his holy righteousness as a free gift. It was a swap deal. Best deal you'll ever find any place, any time in the whole universe. You're not going to find a better deal than this. I highly recommend you take it. So, but Jesus died, before Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. In other words, mission accomplished. He fulfilled all these three things and much more. Then on the third day, you know the storyline here, but I want to review this. On the third day, Jesus was resurrected. Now, over the next 40 days, Jesus was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. He walked with them. He talked with them. He ate with them. They touched him. But before he ascended, he gave final instructions. It's in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Then he ascended and sat down to the right hand of the Father. So when Hosea said, my people perish for lack of knowledge, it's not an intellectual knowledge. And sometimes I think we can get too caught up on the intellectual side of this. It's relational, it's personal, and it's experiential knowledge of God. It's different. So it's, it's not just intellectual knowledge about God. Many people know about God. The demons know about God. They have intellectual knowledge about God, but they don't worship or obey him. I know that we have a president in the White House, and I know what his name is, but I'm never going to see him. I'm never going to talk to him. I don't really follow his philosophies. He's got nothing to do with my life. But I believe he's there. That's intellectual knowledge. But there's no relationship. So this is more like a, like a spiritual union, what is what I'm talking about, a marriage, an intimate relationship, a God consciousness. You know, when, when you talk to yourself throughout the day, and I know everyone does, whether you want to admit it or not, you all talk to yourselves. All the time. So there you go. So here's, here's what I learned is I had to quit talking to myself and talk to God and listen to him. I had to get, get out of the picture, Right? 
So it's walking with him moment by moment, thinking, communing, trusting, and obeying. It's, the word I like is preeminence. He's first place in all things. So we're not to be living a self-centered life, thinking about yourself. We're supposed to be living a God-centered life, thinking about him, right? I think Jesus sums it up well when he was again being tested to be caught so he could be taken away. They said to him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In another place, Jesus said, love others the way I have loved you. I like that even better, right? Because if you don't love yourself, you might have an issue loving other people the right way. So I think these five questions can only be answered by knowing God relationally. And we know that people are perishing and the world is perishing because of lack of this relational knowledge. So let's look at what Jesus did because he came to bring this message, this knowledge. The first thing he did was he got off his throne in the kingdom of heaven and he came to where the people are. Sometimes I got to get off my lazy boy and get out the house and go where people are. I understand what the word go means. I don't have to look up the Hebrew and Greek definition and do, a, do an analysis on the deep study on that word. I get go means go. Any, we have any fishermen in the house? I know Scott likes to fish, right? So aren't you always trying to find out where the fish are so you can go and catch them? Right? So if we don't go where the fish are, how are we going to catch any? If we're supposed to be fishers of men and women, and we don't go to where they are, how are we going to catch any? Okay, so the next thing he did is he began teaching them. This is the intellectual part. He taught them, like in a classroom setting, about the things of God, the kingdom of heaven. He taught them the basic principles of the kingdom in everyday life. Then the next thing is he showed them by example. They watched him, they followed him, they helped him to do the ministry that he was doing. They followed by example. Then the next thing is he tested them. He took the 12 and he sent them out with instruction to go do what he was showing them to do. So they went out, the 12 went out and did what they taught him to do. They stood up, they trusted God, they obeyed God, and they did it. This is the going part. And then the next thing was he sent out 72. Let's get a bigger group going on this. And the 72 did the same thing that the 12 went out to do. And then the next thing, he sends us all. Everyone go. The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. I don't know, it seems real clear to me. Like, I get it. I don't know how to do it, but I get it. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him? Capital H, that's referring to Jesus. In whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad, glad tidings and good things. Folks, we are the people. We are the harvesters. We are the laborers. It's not those people over there. It's not people in leadership that, that do all these things. It's us, every one of us. So there was a story about a coach. I, like, I, don't, I think God gave me this story. I don't know where it came from. This, this coach gathers a team, football team, and he works with the team. He takes them in the classroom, and he shows them all the plays, and he goes over the plays and over the plays and over the plays, and he takes them out in the field, and he shows them how to run the plays, and they run the plays, and they run the plays, and he gets them out there, and they do it, and they work it day and night, day and night. He pushes them hard. And then somehow they make it into the playoffs, and somehow they get to, to the Super Bowl. Now the coach is up on the bench on Super Bowl Sunday, and he says, Team, we've worked hard together. I've shown you what to do. I taught you what to do. You went out and did it. You know the plays. You know what to do. Here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out in that field and do what I showed you to do. And I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to be on the sideline. So I'm going to be with you in spirit, waiting for you to come back in victorious. Now, in a similar way, isn't that what Jesus did? He worked with his disciples for three and a half years. He taught them the principles of the kingdom of God verbally. That's the classroom. He taught them by taking them with him on the job training. As they went, it was on-the-job experience that gave them the training on how to do it. They learn by watching and helping doing it. And then this is called apprenticeship or discipleship. So this is very different than just an intellectual continuous learning. There's a term, I think God gave me this too, it's perpetual intellectual. We just read and listen and talk and read and listen and talk and read, but we don't really go out and do anything. No condemnation. I, don't, I hope this isn't coming across that way. I don't mean any condemnation, but we really got to focus in on doing. Doing. That's a good word. Uh, by the way, the word Christian was used only three times in the Bible, beginning in Antioch. And my, my assumption is that it was used as a derogatory term. It was probably used by the politicians or the religious leaders, like those people over there, those Christians, those disgusting people, probably, right? The word disciple was used 261 times in the New Testament. So today the word Christian can mean just about anything. The definition of the word Christian is different from the original definition of the word disciple in biblical times. So uh, a Christian today can mean, well, I just grew up uh, in, a, in a Christian family, or I belong to a certain denomination, or I go to church Christmas and Easter, it can mean anything. It can mean all kinds of odd things nowadays. You know, I see, I see churches promoting different things that I don't see in the gospel. Look, we accept and love everybody, but we're not going to rubber stamp their sin and say, that's fine, just carry on with it. God loves you anyway. You can carry on. It's, it's, the first thing Jesus preached is repent. Well, we, do, we never talk about repent. You've got to repent, right? If you, if you hit, hit your thumb with a hammer... You gotta stop hitting your thumb with the hammer. There's a there's a, a term 
you know, if you heard the, the political terms that they come up with now is sometimes pretty interesting, but this one that I'm just coining called Sino. Christian in name only. I don't want to be a Sino. They have the name of Christian, but they're not true followers of Christ. It's the whole point. So what, is, what does not make you a disciple? So belonging to a denomination does not make you a disciple. Attending a church service, doing a Bible study, taking a program, watching a video series, listening to preaching, reading a book. It's not an intellectual pursuit only, but it's part of it. So although you may do some or all of these things as a disciple, it's not the whole of it. So I got a couple definitions of disciple. The basic definition is a learner. Discipleship comes from the word disciple, and the literal definition means one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another. That means you're going, sharing, right? The discipleship.org, I've been following them. I think that's a great organization. They've coined this definition, and I like it. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Disciple-making is entering into relationships to help people trust and follow Jesus, which includes the whole process from conversion through maturation and multiplication. The goal is not getting people to come to church or make a prayer. Jesus didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. The goal is to bring them through the whole process. Conversion, maturation, multiplication. A disciple making disciples. The phrase teaching in Matthew 28, the phrase teaching them to observe all things I commanded you means training to obey his commands. It's not just sitting in a classroom and learning a lesson. Training is actually learning how to do it. So being a disciple is not only an intellectual learning, but also experiential and relational. Teaching includes training. We're not to be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Faith without works is dead. And that particular one, you can flip it. Works without faith is dead. Same difference. So let me give you a few examples. I'll tell you the plumbing one because that's, I know that one. If someone wanted to be a plumber, you have to go first find a master plumber who would be willing to take you on and sponsor you. You find someone who's willing to do that, you have to put an application in and you have to file for an apprenticeship. You get an apprentice license. You have to go to school. You have to go to 500 class hours and you have to pass each section to go to the next section. You have to work on the job with the master plumber or journeyman plumber. You have to work on the job for five years. And he's going to teach you the different parts and the different fittings and, and he's go over the code book and he's going to show you how to troubleshoot and how to do all the different details that's required to be able to be a plumber. At the end of the five years, if you did all that and passed all that, then you can take, go take a test. And if you pass the test, then they give you a license. Now, if you want to become a master plumber, 
it's another 100 class hours, and it's another year on the job. And then if you do that, then you can go take a test for your master's. If you pass that, they give you a master's license. So that's called apprenticeship, right? This walk of being a disciple is more like that than just the intellectual process. So um, <laughs> I got an example of how many people like Mercedes-Benz? You like those cars? I think they're well-built, quality cars. They last a long time. Uh, they're safe, right? So let's say you love those cars and you, you want one. You love it, you want one but you can't afford it. So you often think it would be so great to own all those cars, so you decide, you know what, I'm going to go down to a dealership, I'm going to get the manual. So I get the manual and I bring it home and I start reading the manual. And I say, wow, this is really good, I'm learning so much about the car. And then you go back and reread it and you start to underline it and take notes and you highlight things. And next thing you know, you start to talk to your friends about the, about the manual, and, right? And then you say to yourself, well, you know what? I think I'm going to learn it in the original language. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn German, and I'm going to get the original manual in German, and I'm, I'm going to study it in German, right? And you do it, and then you say, you know what? I need to join a group of other people like me. And you, somehow you find a group of Mercedes-Benz lovers. Nobody's got one, but they all, they all love it. And you go to this meeting every week for years, and you just sit around and you talk about the manual. What's the whole point of the manual? Anybody Drive know? The Drive the car. <laughs> I have a manual in my truck. When I got the truck, I didn't look at the manual. I just got in there and put the key and, and then drove. When I couldn't figure out how to change the clock, then I got the manual out. Now, don't take that the wrong way. I'm not saying don't study the Bible. The Bible is the owner's manual for life. Second Timothy says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be, does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means you need to know the Bible. The whole point of the Bible is to do what it says. Action, go make disciples. You've heard WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's an old one. And then DWJD, do what Jesus did. Right? But you do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not doing it in your own strength, in your own flesh, in your carnal nature. Forget that. That's not going to work. So there are four specific things that I think Jesus called us to step up into. The first one is witnessing. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you, that's all of us who believe, will, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Witnessing. That's sharing your testimony. That's testifying of who Jesus is. That's when you're out there, you're talking about him. 
nobody can refute your testimony. It's what happened to you. This is, I'm just telling you what happened to me. The next thing is he calls us to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this, this relates to my feeling disconnected because now that I understand that my home was the kingdom of God, I'm here on temporary assignment, kind of like being an ambassador from the United States. You go, anybody travel to foreign countries? I've been to foreign countries and I didn't feel comfortable. It was foreign. <laughs> the language is different, the food's different, the people are different, the clothes are different, the music, everything's different. It's like, when I, I don't remember where I was, but it was like, I finally saw the golden arches in another language, and I said, oh, American food. Here's the point. When we, when we send an ambassador to a foreign country, he's in a foreign land. But the land that the embassy is built on is United States soil. It's sovereign soil. It's protected and defended and represented by the United States, even in a foreign land. So that ambassador is in a foreign land representing the United States of America. That's his job to these foreigners. In a sense, aren't we the same? That we're ambassadors from the kingdom of God representing him in this foreign world? It's the same thing. When we start to understand that, it's like, okay, that makes sense to me. Now it changes the way I think. It changes the way I feel. It gives me a sense of hope. It gives me a sense of purpose. Next thing is ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The world is lost, God sent Jesus to rescue us, to bring us back. Our job is to be the ambassador who's bringing them, ushering them back into that reconciled relationship with God. That's, that's our job. We're all ministers. And then the fourth one is disciple makers. We're supposed to be reproducing. There's, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but there's also another fruit. The fruit of me being a disciple is that I make disciples, right? What brings God glory? Anybody? People. What's God looking for? People. Who did he give the commission to go get the people? Us. Let's look at what the early church did. Acts 2. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I think this is a model for a small group. Mm 
we, I, I go to three fellowships a day. One early morning, one after that, and one usually at five o'clock. That's like my normal day. I don't know how people do it once a week. I don't know how people do it. I need more. Maybe I'm just more needy. I don't know. Anyway, let's take a look at the fivefold ministry. It's Ephesians chapter 4. You're familiar with that? And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So there are specific people that God chooses and gives them that ability to do that. Certain people, he says, you're going to be a pastor. I'm giving you that gift or a teacher or apostle or whatever it is, right? But he didn't give it to those people to just do that, and that's the end of it. He gave them that to teach us how to do that. So the evangelist's job is not to come in town and have a big event and leave. His evangelist's job is to teach us how to evangelize. Now, we may not all be evangelists that might not be getting that particular function, but we're all required to evangelize. We're supposed to be going out there and telling people about Jesus. That's evangelism. Same for pastor. We're not all going to be pastoring over church, but we all need to be taught how to provide pastoral care for the people we're out there trying to minister to. Right? Same thing for a teacher. So the teacher isn't going to just come teach me so I have all this intellectual knowledge. You're supposed to be teaching me so I can go out there and teach them. Right? So um, it says in 2 Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we're supposed to be like rolling forward here, reaching out, teaching people, training people to go out and to reproduce and make disciples. So the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to equip us to go do the work of ministry. That's the function. Then the real development of these skills, these are skills now, these are not gifts. So some people might say, well, that's not my gift. I, don't, I just don't like talking to people or you know, whatever it is. My gift is not preaching. But I'll get up here and preach if God says so. So get the gift thing out of your mind and let's look at these are learned skills, right? So I wasn't born a plumber. It wasn't a gift from God. I had to go to school. I had to study. I had to work under a licensed plumber for a long time. I had to make all my mistakes. And I developed a skill over, over years. This is the same thing for being a disciple. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. There's a phrase I hear. It's called meeting makers make it. If you skip your meetings, you might not make it. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Does anybody see the day approaching or just me seeing this? I'm not fearful about it. I'm kind of a little bit glad because Jesus is coming sooner. So it's critical that we meet regularly. And for me, I, I daily, I meet people daily. It's not just once a week. 
And there's, there's five relationship categories I'd like to share with you. The first one is the large group or church, right? We gather together once a week, which is fantastic, and we do what we do. We need that. We need all of these categories. The next one is the small group. That's usually around 12 to 15 people, kind of like Jesus did with the 12. We need to be part of a small group. The next one is three, like Jesus had Peter, James, and John. He poured more into those three to teach them and train them to go out to teach other people, like we just read in 2 Timothy. And then there's the one-to-one discipleship relationship. We need one person that's going to be our discipler, going to be our mentor, a trusted friend who's going to help us, he's going to answer questions, going to do life with us, going to pray for us, going to be there to help us to grow up in maturation to be mature disciples and not be sifted by the enemy. That's a critical relationship. And then the fifth one is one-to-one with God. Each one of us gets to have that one. I think all these relationships are critical factors. If we're missing any of them, we're missing something we need. So um, I'm really f- trying to hone in on small group ministries right now for the, for the church, for the body of Christ. I think we're doing great with the large church, and I'm really thrilled to see the people that are stepping up to do the small groups, but I think we, we need more. Um, it's, it's nice for us to come together and do what we do, but remember, there's a whole bunch of people out there that are lost, hurting, broken. We can't, we can't be afraid to go out and reach them. One of my meetings I go to is up at Lambert's. I go up there almost every day, and I'm trying to minister the gospel in between all the nonsense that goes on. But you know what? There's a, one guy just had a heart attack. He's in Boston. I'm looking for an opportunity to go see him. We've had many conversations about God. He just didn't buy the Jesus thing. Got another guy who's a Jewish man who never read the Bible, doesn't even know the storyline. I gave him a Bible. He's reading it. We're having conversations about it. So I'm, I'm having those kinds of things happening. And I know part of it, I know some of you people are praying for that. And I know part of it's because God's answering our prayers. But for me, you know, sometimes people say, oh, well, I don't know what God's will is for me. Yeah, we do. It's all over the Bible. But the most important one of all, I think, is God's will. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Is that not God's will, that everyone be saved? How can they be saved if nobody goes? Okay, so some of the benefits of being in a small group. The feeling of being disconnected gets replaced with authentic fellowship. The feeling of insecurity gets replaced with securing Christ. The feeling of loneliness gets replaced with his presence. The fears get overcome by power, love, and a sound mind. Depression gets replaced with joy. You get to develop your gifts and build your skills in God. So some of the benefits of a small group and a one-to-one discipleship relationship, that's what I think we need to increase every place. Look, when COVID happened, church was closed. What now? Well, if we have a whole network of small groups going on, house to house, it can grow even faster. And 
according to Jesus, there's going to be pestilences, plural. So it's going to happen again. I think we need to be ready for it. And the church doesn't need to close, just we need to adjust. A little shift. Okay, um, the last scripture is in Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. I take that to be literal. I take that to be critical. I take that to be the main thing is like, you know how to play the game. Get in the game and play. So my hope is that we can start a, a small group among the other ones and continue with the other ones. But we can start one that's a small group focused in on discipleship, disciple making, being disciples. And my hope is that it's a, 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 live, a life group that draws people that don't know Jesus yet. Because when we go out, just like the first church did, when we, we meet in our homes and we help each other and share and tell our stories and we, we get our needs met, we go out and we bring people back. It's the whole idea. I try to do this the best I can, obviously by the power of the Holy Spirit. I look for opportunities all the time. And over the years, I've had a lot of people that I've crossed paths with, that I've had encounters with, that I have conversations with, and tried to bring them along. Some people came, many didn't. There's a couple in mind that, that, that come to mind right now. There's one guy, he was a merchant marine. He came, I met him at a, at a meeting, and he was a mess. And I invited him to come to my house to start doing a Bible study, and he wasn't buying it. This was probably three years ago, four years ago maybe. But I continued to maintain a friendship with him and stay in contact, and I saw him from time to time. And he went a different route, but I just talked to him yesterday. His whole life has changed. He's speaking the name Jesus has changed his life, right? You never know what part of the journey you're going to be on with somebody. It might have been just that one Bible study and just a, a back friend in the background. Somebody else picked up the ball and brought him through. The, that's fine, right? Our job is to go out there and plant seeds. Some, some plant seeds, some, but God brings the increase, right? So we work together as a team, and whatever it is, it's God's doing. Got another guy, I met, him at a, I met him at an AA meeting. I don't usually go to night meetings, but one of my Christian friends said he was going to go. He was down from New Jersey or New York. He said he was going to go, so um, I said, all right, I'll, I'll meet you there. Maybe we'll go to dinner afterwards, right? So I met him there, and then this new guy, first time at a meeting, young, young guy, he says, yeah, the courts made him come here. He's got to come to four meetings. And I'm laughing to myself because it's not a four-meeting deal. It's not how it works. 
So I said to my friend, let's take, let's see if he'll come out to dinner with us afterwards. So three of us, we grabbed another guy, four of us went out. We had a wonderful time of fellowship. This kid that was downtrodden, he just started to come alive. The uh, next morning, I picked him up and took him to a 7 o'clock meeting. Immediately, one of the other guys grabbed him, had him helping him with the coffee. Took Other people started to greet him. He became the coffee maker at the meeting. His, he actually chaired the meeting a couple times. This, this is probably six months, eight months now. He chaired the meeting a couple times. I mean, I wish I could show you his whole disposition, his whole countenance, his whole spirit changed. Good kid, young guy, honest. Uh, he's very spiritual, but he doesn't, I don't think he quite comprehends Jesus yet. So I'm going to try to start studying this with him. Now, he's a carpenter. We've done some jobs together as well. And so I'm seeing him. He's a great guy. Now, I, I don't really do partnerships, but I'm talking to him. Me and my daughter are going to talk to him about doing a partnership together with home improvement. He's the kind of guy I would do that with, right? So you never know who's going to do what, what kind of friendship or relationship you're going to get out of it. But the whole idea is just go serve God by reaching out to the other people. So let me close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for our time here together. And thank you for, thank you for you. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for our church. Thank you for the people. Thank you. Just thank you without end, Lord. Lord, would you help us to fulfill the Great Commission? Would you help us to step up and to be the true disciples that you have in mind for us to be? Would you help us to develop these small groups? Would you help us to bring new people in and they would feel welcomed and loved and accepted and that they would grow in their relationship with you as well? Lord, we pray that you would bring increase for your glory and for your name's sake. Let your family grow, Lord. Let your kingdom grow. In Jesus' name, amen.